At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lombard here, the World Messenger, and I'm inviting you for another epic episode of Legacy Leader Show. Today, we're traveling to New York, and we're going to have a chance to hear firsthand for someone who is not only a phenomenal writer, who is a great director and producer. I mean, he is absolute ninja in film production. He has already some amazing credits under his belt, four awards and more coming, working on some really interesting topics. But what I love about this individual that I cannot wait to introduce, he's also a phenomenal human being, great friend, colleague, someone that I go to for advice, for strategy, for different types of approaches in ever so changing technology and film and entertainment industry, obviously. What I love also is that how do you depict and select amazing stories, world, world telling, and specifically that creates the wonder and magic and keep impulse on values and integrity and kindness that world needs more than ever. So without further ado, I cannot wait for you guys to hear from my today's guest, David Chai. Hi, David, how are you? I'm good, how are you, Isabella? I'm fantastic. I'm just so glad that this really worked out for us in a perfect timing as things are shifting so rapidly and so many people, frankly, are freaking out with technology, with AI, how is this impacting film industry, as well many other types of disruptors. But before we go into all of that, you proving over and over how resilient, adaptable you are and how willing to change you are. Uh, do you mind sharing a little bit for everybody that are not familiar with your background? Where did you grow up? What did you study? And how did you get into this robust entertainment space in film industry? Um, so I was born in Brunei, which is a little country in Southeast Asia, and then uh, moved to New Zealand and Australia. So I actually started my career in Australia, which is a small country, but it's also a very robust film industry. A lot of um, great filmmakers have come from Australia. And I first got interested in acting because I looked at all these people shooting and having fun on set and thought, well, you know, that seems better than working in an office. And that was really how I got into the industry. I, I studied acting at a place called the Actors Center, and um, I fell in love with acting. But um, then a friend of mine wanted to work on a TV series. So I said, well, I don't know anything about production. So I enrolled into a 12-week production course and had my first taste of working in production. And that was very interesting as well. And shortly after that, I got a job working in an editing company. They did mostly commercial work, um, 
but then I applied for film school and I got accepted in and at getting into film school in Australia is also very difficult out of 2,500 application applicants, they take about 50 people. Wow. So I managed to sneak in and, uh, get into a three-year uh, full-time film course at the University of Technology. Uh, but because I was working as an editor, I continued working freelance all the way through my, um, my film school. Wow, what a great way to test, experiment, and also put a practical application as you were learning. And then I'm sure through that process, you did more and more of self-discovery that helped you in your journey because I'm blown away. First of all, I firsthand experienced how great scre uh, screenwriter you are. Uh, and then just to write into scripts, sto short stories, full future for, for future films. I mean, regardless, or of course, series that you had a chance also to create and having this tremendous success to put that in action. So that is an art in itself, but then, then be able to direct or produce and play these multiple roles. Could you tell people that are not familiar uh, how much really goes behind in front of the camera, behind the camera, how much talent is there? And, and, and to just be able to really, again, own that and, and have this tremendous traction. Could you please uh, tell us what it takes to be so successful? Uh, so let's, interestingly enough, um, film school was where I first started writing because we had these assignments where you had to make a short film. Mm -hmm. And the first thing you have to do is, well, you need a script. So I would be cramming a script the night before the deadline and going, well, I need a script. So I would sit down and write this thing in like two hours. And um, so that kind of kickstarted my whole um, introduction to writing out of necessity. You need a you need a script, so go write something. And um, it took many more years before I took writing seriously as something I, I wanted to pursue. Uh, probably around two thousand nine, I, I collaborated with a group of other friends, and we just started writing little stories for each other. And that ended up uh, being a few different TV projects that I co-wrote and wrote some, and we tried pitching those projects to different um, networks. Um, got some interest, but nothing ever panned out from that. But what I realized was that I needed to be in the adult space because kids TV is a tiny market with very few buyers. and they really don't want to buy anything from somebody else because they want to control the IP and IP is something which is a huge part of the business. Everyone wants to own star Wars or own the next Marvel because IP is more valuable than an individual story. So that took me into um, screenwriting you, which was a, a fantastic course. Um, so I did a six month course called the pro series, and that's where I started to really spread my wings as a writer, um, and really work on it on a daily basis and, and start to get, you know, more serious scripts out. 
in a much more professional capacity. So that was around 2011, 2012. And I've since done the master series, which is a one and a half year writing course, and also the six month TV writing course. But uh, it's very important, no matter what your craft is, to continue to learn, to improve, and also to keep practicing and keep doing it. And that's true as a director as well, because I was thinking, okay, well, Around 2015, I was pitching some of these projects to producers and and they liked the writing. They actually wanted, I had an opportunity to option one of my scripts to a very big company that had a big film fund. Uh, But I said, I want to direct this. And they said, no, you can't direct this. Well, why not? Well, you you haven't directed a feature before and we don't trust you as a director. So that spurred me in 2016 to direct my first feature. And <laughs> I was frustrated. I had a friend who was frustrated. And I said to him, I'm, I don't care. I'm doing a micro budget feature this year. I'm finishing a feature. And he said, okay, when do we start? I said, right now. So <laughs> we, we pitched each other. I said, okay, three days, I'll pitch you 10 ideas. You pitch me 10 ideas and we'll pick one. Then we'll write an outline and then we'll write the script in, in, in two weeks, and then you know we'll get this film made somehow. So we did that. We pitched each other in three days later, and he told me which ideas he thought were good. I told him which ideas were good for him. And um, that, um, so then I did have an outline for that, and I pitched it to a friend of mine who was a producer in Canada. Yes. He really liked the story. He goes, Hey, this is great. Um, I think this is a good story. And let me try and find some money for you. And um, I saw like, great. So I wrote the script in one week. <laughs> wow. After I pitched him because it was just an outline. I sent it to him. And then he, he, he called me up two weeks later and said, Hey, I, I got your money. He found a investor for $50,000 and uh, that became my first feature film, Midnight Driver. And it eventually won the best feature award at the Long Island International Film Expo in 2018, which I I was not expecting at all. Um, They had over 900 uh, films that were submitted to the festival so to win was was not something i expected but you know congratulations i know that we sometimes as creatives don't see how impactful or how we stack up what's out there and you're so down to earth and humble so i'm not surprised but i also wanted to point out you that is one of many awards that you won and it's just so great to see trajectory please continue um yeah so i'm just going back a little bit when i had this opportunity to have a project option by this big company that's the result of going to film markets for years i went to the american film market um pretty much um i've been there eight times um seven times in person one time virtually and i went to Cannes, which is in 2019 where i met isabella uh so 
Film markets are a great place to meet other filmmakers and creatives, but also to learn about how the industry works. And unfortunately, what I have learned is that there are a lot of really bad people in the business, especially on the distribution side, especially taking advantage of people that don't understand the business side, contracts, um, or even if you sign a good contract, they'll still find some way to rip you off. And that that's something that I think most filmmakers have to deal with. Mm. It's unfortunate, but to get kind of out of that space and into more of the successful arena for filmmakers, you have to really understand how the business is structured and what brings value to a project. It's, it's, you can have a great script, but that doesn't mean that it's a marketable script. Marketable means that if you advertise this story and you say to your friend, hey, do you want to watch this movie? The first question they say, well, what, what, what's this? Uh, what's the movie about? And that's where the logline comes in. And that's where you tell them essentially the concept. And they'll, they'll say, okay, that sounds interesting. Well, who's in it? So that tells you a lot about the importance of movie stars. And that's the same thing that distributors look for in a project. They want to know it's a high concept, it's marketable, and that it's got actors that they want to see that are respected and are high caliber. So from the producing standpoint, you ha it's not good enough to say, well, just because I made my movie, people should watch it. No. They don't have to watch it. There's there's a million choices now. You can watch things on your phone, on TikTok, on YouTube. Why do I have to watch your movie? So you have to sell these people on your concept, on your production. And they have you have to convince them to even just watch it. And that's true on the script level. To get a producer to read your script, they'll also ask you the same thing. Hey, what's it about? And who do you see could be in it? And uh, based on that, you know, they might read your script or they most of the time won't even bother to read it. Mm. So many moving parts. And thank you for sharing that amazing bouts of knowledge and in breaking down for everybody who is passionate about industry, want to enter or want to succeed. Obviously, it's so important to understand um, secret sauce, right? Or, or ingredients that are needed to really make it project viable. For someone like yourself who has 32 credits plus under your belt, who it's been playing in different genres from drama to shorts to comedy and others, who also won four awards uh, and also generated very substantial amount of money in box offices worldwide and US and Canada. Uh, and followed the industry and continue to perfect your art because I never seen anybody as dedicated as you are to learn new nuances. One thing I wanted to highlight for everybody watching and listening, what did you do when everything went down the hill during the COVID in 2020? Guys, I contracted COVID when I was in New York during the time and I honestly didn't know I'm gonna live. But then 
you did something remarkable. Tell everybody watching and listening, how did you turn these uh, horrible circumstances into something amazing? So <clears throat> I was contacted by a friend in late 2020. Um, and he was a DP and he was like, I have been so bored out of my mind, sitting at home. I haven't been doing anything at all. And I'm, I, I just got to do something. I got to shoot something. So he said, Hey, do you want to shoot something? And he had a script from a writer. Um, I, I didn't quite like the script. So I said to him, would it be okay if I wrote my own script? And he said, sure, let's, okay. Um, so I wrote this script and we cast the movie and we shot this short film. It ended up being 27 minutes shot over three days called Reject. Mm. And in a nutshell, it's about somebody who has business dealings with China and gets his IP stolen from his company and basically loses his marriage and his job and is um in a bad state um but um the 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 film was broadcast on ntd and epoch and ntd the network new tang dynasty they they liked it so much they asked me to go and pitch them a tv show wow wait a, wait a second okay okay, okay, okay. MTV. Okay, guys. NTD. NTD. NTV. That is amazing. That yeah. is amazing. Keep going, please. Okay, so NTD, um, which stands for New Tang Dynasty. Um, uh, just a little background about that network. So they started in New York as a Chinese language network to talk about human rights abuses in China and have stayed uncensored and um, a few years ago, uh, I think it was three years ago now, four years, they started an English channel. Yes. And as the English channel was expanding, they wanted to try doing a scripted series. Uh, but they also have um, expanded to provide uncensored news in America as well. And they have the same goal. They just want to be there as the voice of what journalism should be. It's objective, it's truthful, it's for the people, it's information that, you know, maybe uh, corporations may want to hide or, or keep away from the people. Um, so I pitched them, I didn't have an idea at the time to pitch them specifically. So I had jotted just a few sentences down uh, seven one sentence ideas and I just went down the list and pitched the big boss and out of the seven he liked two of them so the two ideas I combined into one and that became the tv show and I said okay I see what you like uh let me the create a bible create the storylines and I'll get back to you in a week so I Took that week and I, you know, I worked hard. I wrote a 24 page Bible, uh, which had the main characters, the main storylines, the arcs, the 10 episode outlines, and went back to um, tell the big boss about, about this. And I sat down and I said, Hey, so what do you think? And he said, oh, I'm sorry, I, I was so busy, I didn't have time to read it. 
but why don't you tell me about it? <laughs> so 10, 15 minutes, basically, I had to verbally pitch him the, the storylines and, and the show. And after listening for 10 minutes, he's like, I think it's good. Let's do it. <laughs> wow. So not only you knew how to quickly write it, position it, and then be prepared to pitch it. And then something crazy happened. I couldn't, I couldn't believe when I was listening and what, what you were telling me. Yeah. So, um, so then I was thinking, okay, well, well, that's great that you say, let's do this. Um, because I've been down the road before where things are said and you're not sure what that means. So I'm like, okay, so what does it mean? Uh, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's develop a pilot. Let's write some scripts and, or, or no, he goes, no, no, let's shoot this series. And when can you deliver? Mm-hmm. So the next question was, okay, now when can I deliver? I had to backwards engineer the timeline and I had to figure out, well, how long do I need to write this? And when can we start shooting? And from when we're shooting, when can we uh, deliver the first episode? So um, I, I gave myself 10 days per episode to write. And we figured the earliest day to start shooting would be June of 2021. So this was January 2021 and June. And I was like, okay, we can probably deliver in December. And do the first one episode a week, and um, so my first task was to sit down and start writing. And I didn't know anything about the police. Okay, um, I don't have a background in law enforcement. I don't have many friends that are police. Uh, so the first thing I did was go to Amazon and buy some books from ex-police officers that talk about their life because. If somebody's spending two or three years of their life writing a book, they're going to put the most important insights, stories, and their perspective into the book. So I read three books from police officers, just devoured them, and and got some ideas for storylines. And then um, I scoured um, the internet for other headlines and stories and and real cases because i love drawing from real life i love to find things that are not necessarily solved but just to do that level of research to figure out okay what's something interesting what's something that i haven't seen before what's something the audience probably hasn't seen And and that that's kind of my starting point, because if it's been done before, then there's no point in me redoing it. Sure. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to find a different perspective. And um, and just remember at this time, it was after 2020, there's all this whole defunded police, there's all these riots all over the place. And people, the police were in not in a good place. They were not happy <laughs> with the people. People were not happy with the police. And I was like, well, let me look at this more from a bigger perspective. Let me try and understand how people become police, what police have to go through, and try to be objective myself because I didn't know what the police were actually like. Um, Mm -hmm. And I watched a lot of YouTube videos from police officers, ride-alongs, training, and 
So the the series is called A Good Cop, and it follows three police officers at different stages of their career. The first one is someone who starts off as an anti-police protester, but she has a near-death experience, and she is asked by God while she's dead if she, how she has served people. And um, the interesting thing about that story is uh, it's a true story. As someone told me, they met someone who had died and was asked two questions one was the first question they were asked was what have you learned and the second question was how have you served wow wow uh, what, what have you done Horrible. to serve others um and this ties in with who i am i love um exploring ideas of higher power and about um greater meaning beyond our own lives so that's that was one of the core tenets of the the character and the second character um is someone who is recruited to the internal affairs and his job is to police other police because that's mm -hmm. essentially what the internal affairs does they try to find corrupt cops and that is an interesting thing because now you're treating your own colleagues as criminals and if they are found to be criminals, you basically have to expose them and arrest them. And um, so I wanted to find out what that looked like. And the third storyline is a captain who's close to retiring. And, you know, a lot of people are retiring because they are sick of the defund the police and the attitude towards police. But he comes across a laptop containing incriminating evidence against high-level politicians. And he has to decide if it's worth going after this because it could mean his career, but it also could mean putting his family in danger. Mm. Very real life situations that we've seen unfold during the pivotal times when in COVID, not only shut down everything, as you mentioned, but also uh, created so much divide across our nation and then other parts of the world, unfortunately. And to do this during the time when nothing was moving and happening, guys, you don't understand, as they say, where is the will, there is the way, where is the passion and drive, where is the also willingness to portray something and shed the light in a positive way, or, 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 or really with a bigger, deeper meaning, it's always possible. So what happened next? Yeah, so, um, so as I was writing the scripts, um, um, we had to begin the casting process halfway through the writing because it takes months to cast something. And especially this project, we ended up with over 120 actors. Um, so after the first five episodes were written, um, we started casting. And for the lead female role, we had... I had some crazy number, like 1,800 people applied for that role. Wow. And for the lead male role, I think it was over 600 people applied. Um, so I, I like to give everybody a chance. So I watched everything. <laughs> I watched everybody's reels, every person looking for the needle in the haystack. And um, it was, it, it took quite a bit of time and um when i found the lead actress it was actually hilarious because she had been in that short film 
in that I made in 2020 that got the um (laughs) (laughs) she was already there (laughs) um and the funny thing was the guy who got the lead role um he was a friend of hers and I didn't even um ask her to audition because she was planning on moving to Los Angeles and I thought she'd already left and and her friend um he he when he was auditioning he said hey you know i'm i'm auditioning because you know you told me this guy's a good guy to work with this director and she's he said why don't you audition and so she reached out and i said sure absolutely you know um i said i would have you know definitely auditioned or asked you to audition if i knew you were still in the city but i thought you left for los angeles and we you know needed local actors um and as so happened, she said, well, I was going to move, but then COVID happened. And then she, her mom said, don't go. And then she rented out her flat in Los Angeles to someone else. So she had stayed in the city, uh, but I didn't know that. I thought she'd gone. Um, anyway, so she auditioned and ended up getting the lead role. Wow. What a powerful story, but this really also reflects your ethics to go over thousands of reels and watch every single one, to give the fair opportunity for every artist to consider for the role and to depict and to do this yourself. So not only you had a now treatment, uh, something you wanted to run with, then you wrote the scripts and now you're selecting artists and then you're directing and producing at the same time. I mean, you basically did everything from concept all the way to final product that is being shown. I mean, that is just showing how reversatile, how agile, how nimble you are and how much you're embracing not only different roles, but also opportunity to grow and learn. I don't know anybody who did this specifically with such a limited time, limited budget, and every single touch point and every single role. How did you do this? Oh, I had help from some amazing people. Um, the two producers, there was like five producers on the team. And I had one producer from the network. Um, so the producers, I couldn't have done it without their help. I had these two amazing brothers, Ted and James Orfanos, and wow. these guys, um, I had met them in 2019. Um, I met James and then his brother, and I asked James to help on the short film project in 2020, Reject, and that was a great experience working with him. So then when it came time to do this TV series, I asked if they could come in and take a bigger role, him and his brother, uh, because they had um, some experience in TV production and also were really eager to jump into a project like this. Um, But they were miracle workers. And that's the one thing that you, you need people you can trust, but they didn't necessarily have a huge amount of experience compared to other people, but they were people I trusted. I really liked them and really liked how they dealt with other people. Mm-hmm. And that proved to be very, very key for so many, so many times. Um, I'll give you one very good example. Um, so there was a location that we wanted to shoot in and um, it was with the Mace Waste Management 
Bureau, which um, is a city organization. And they take all the garbage off the streets, pretty much. <clears throat> and we needed this uh, warehouse location, uh, the outside of a warehouse, it wasn't inside, it was outside. But there was a massive hurricane that had just hit the city. And even though we had a contract with them, they, they called up the day before and said, I'm sorry, but you can't shoot there because we have to use that space to do cleanup for the city and we can't have you shooting there. And, and Ted, who's the location producer, <laughs> was on the other side of the phone and said, oh, okay, all right. Um, is there any way that you could help us find any other location to use tomorrow? And, and he was super calm. He was just the way he is. He, when he comes across a problem, he doesn't get angry, doesn't blow up. He doesn't, he just stays super calm. He's always super nice and just really um, lovely to deal with. And he just said, is there any way that you could help us find another location tomorrow? And she said, I was expecting you to blow up and yell at me and and but because you didn't because you didn't do that i'm gonna see what i can do i'll call you back and then <laughs> wow what amazing trait of human being and great leadership please so so she called him back well first of all he freaked out he called he called james and afterwards and was like oh man what are we gonna do <laughs> we lost our location for tomorrow um, but then she called him back an hour later and said, Hey, I found a place for you to shoot. Wow. And we shot there the next day and the security guard didn't even get the notification that we were shooting there, but we had the paperwork. So we showed them <laughs> when we showed up and we shot there and the location was so much better than the first one that we wanted to shoot at. I love when things work out like that. And it's so amazing. Again, I love, first of all, you gave young talent a chance. I love that you made a decision based on their character, not necessarily so much about their experience, because they will be easy then to work with and being guided. And we see this in business all the time. People are missing and not giving chance and opportunity for hungry, driven, passionate, highly, highly uh, eager uh, talent, yet um those are the ones who always make things happen that don't they yeah I, it it if you choose people based on integrity they will always perform for you if you choose people that have a name but they aren't necessarily good people i don't know that that's a good choice even though on paper it looks good but there's always a trade-off with that scenario and you get way more than you bargain for sometimes really bad sometimes not so bad but there's going to be some bad there i totally agree with you and we're seeing also with so many different movements that inspired a uh, transpire from me to to name it and when we've seen some actor actors behavior uh, towards 
uh, female, for example, or just in general, other colleagues, how they were treated, the talent and everything else, how much not only ruined industry reputation, but also ruined so many lives. How many people got damaged for years and decades based on things that they could not be supported in or speak up or truly deal with and, and shows that industry itself, it's now collapsing and shifting. And in the midst of all that collapse, you created something amazing. Yes. Um, yeah, that's something that I'm hyper aware about. And also we had this discussion among the producers. Um, if we found any crew member who was being inappropriate towards any of the female actresses or um, there was one PA that was trying to get the phone number of somebody and we got rid of that person because it was inappropriate. They should not have been trying to solicit that information. It was not professional. And it's it's just important to know that people feel safe on your set, that they're going to be looked after. Yes. It's There's some accountability. It's not acceptable for people to just run rampant or for us if we are producers to turn a blind eye and ignore things like that because then who's going to feel safe there yes such a so true and and again everything starts with your leadership david and i've seen this over and over which i'm absolutely thrilled not only to call you colleague but also dear friend and strategic advisor and advisor in so many aspects because uh when we find individuals like that sadly they're rare and i'm sure everybody watching listening you can probably have less than five that you can depict in your life to say these are consistently same quality of human beings and that they have that level of integrity the level of leadership accountability which is missing so much and level of transparency and i believe strongly that's the secret sauce uh not only for you but for others that i'm seeing in the industry what is your take on that um, there's a lot of abuse of power in this industry because you've got a lot of people that have big dreams and sometimes if they've been trying for many years, they get desperate and people like to prey on desperation. And so abuse of power is rampant in this industry, unfortunately. Um, but I think, you know, it comes down to each individual as they try to set a good example and things like the two producers james and ted uh, we we had so many comments from other actors or people that were background on our production they would come up to us and say you know what this is the best set i've ever been on wow like you guys treat us like human beings and you're so nice to everyone i love that and love and that. A, a lot of these people kept coming back. They were like, when are you shooting? I'll come back whenever you want, whenever you need somebody. Um, because they just enjoyed being on set with us. Mm. And um, I say that not to blow, blow the horn, uh, my own horn, or, or, but it, it shows to me more the problems that are existent in other places where yes. people are not treated with any respect because they are not the big star or they are not a key crew member. If you're a PA, for me personally, 
just because somebody is a PA or a background or they're just a, a junior person, I'm not going to treat them any differently from anyone else because to me, they're a person first and they are just as critical in helping me make this project because every single person is necessary. And um, so if, if sometimes some of the camera assistants or PAs had questions, I was always happy to answer them. I was always happy to take five minutes and say, hey, you know, um, you know, tell me what you're working on. What, 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 you know, uh, what's your goals? What, what do you want to be in 10 years? And just give them maybe a few words of advice um, if they want that or just, you know, just at least just be sympathetic or just say hello. And... I love that. And you spot on when people feel safe, they will share more, but also they will be the, with that trust, they will do way more for you than you even ask because everybody's motivated to do a great job when they're appreciated. And showing the appreciation always starts how the leader sets the sets the tone and frankly how you build your legacy as a result i'm not surprised the series was phenomenally well received and that people loved it do you mind sharing some some highlights from your that project uh beside uh that crew loved it what audience was telling because i'm sure you created this amazing chemistry and as a result that drove a lot of attention for the right reason uh, we had really amazing feedback um, on uh, the series is currently streaming on Epoch TV. Uh, you can watch it there and you can also read the comments from the audience members because um, they write uh, freely after uh, at the bottom of each uh, episode. Uh, but we got all these comments like, wow, this is the best cop show I've seen since, um, you know, CIA, CSI uh, Miami or uh, even someone said, if if I had TV shows like this, I wouldn't have thrown my TV out 10 years ago. <laughs> um, because um, it, a lot of TV, I don't know, they, they, they tend to focus on such negative characters or such negative things, or it's just so heavily balanced towards one side of the story. And for me, I, I don't want to tell you what to think. I'm not, I'm not even um, interested in, in trying to change your mind. I just want to tell a good story, but also each character has to have integrity for how they would be in real life. And in the story, there are good police officers, they're bad police officers, they're good people, they're they bad people. And that's society, that's real life. And you can read into that five different ways because i'm just trying to be respectful of what uh, i think are real motivations and see how characters would react to their situations as realistically as possible and you can draw your own conclusions i don't want to tell you how to think about it you might not like it you might like it but if it makes you think or question or learn something or um even just if you just enjoy it, then, you know, I've done, I've done my job. I'm not there to <laughs> tell you how to think. That is brilliant. And I love that it's, it's providing beautiful tapestry of stories 
to educate, to lift up, to, to as you said, question, but ultimately the, everybody's on different learning journey and different things will be depicted. And as a result uh, of that, what they experience is gonna expand more either their horizons or perspectives. And I love that because so many uh, narratives out there and we see this uh, when we have just splits of second creating opinion and we start believing things that we don't even know why we're to believe because masses are believing. And that is the danger that we see in societally. And you're disrupting this beautifully. I want to kudos you, first of all, for that, because we need more of creatives and more amazing talent yourself and having this um, opportunity to also contemplate and also pause and let people also to reflect because we see less and less of that. We see more reaction and... Um, I think it's a tremendous opportunity also to revisit. Why are you doing what are you doing? If you don't mind just telling why are you doing to what are you doing and what are you, you already created amazing legacy for yourself and create a great path. But ultimately, David, what is your legacy that you are continue to expand upon and want to be known for? Well, um, I'm drawn to this industry to tell stories. And those stories have to have a meaning. They can't just be pure entertainment. To me, a story has the power to question things. It has the power to enlighten, shine a light on things or issues and not necessarily tell you what to think about it, but just make you aware of it. And the characters that themselves will go on a kind of journey and, and you being the audience go on that journey with them. So you may or may not agree with choices a character makes, but you at least start to understand some of the issues on a much deeper level than it's just a headline. It's just mm -hmm. something that you heard somebody mention in passing. Now you can really look at it in more detail and start to understand it on a much more meaningful level. And that's the power of story we have. We, and that's why people want to keep watching stories. We're trying to understand ourselves better. We're trying to, in some respects, try to find a better way to exist in this world. And for me, I always like to empower people by saying, well, these characters make a choice at some point, and that choice has consequences, good or bad. And But it comes down to each person making a choice at key moments. So you'll see throughout my work, there's always questions of choice and there's always consequences of choice because that ultimately is your power each day you make a million different choices and each one has potentially small consequences oh today i choose vanilla ice cream instead of chocolate ice cream but wait you're choosing ice cream instead of the salad you know that has a consequence right but on a bigger level maybe it's well do i continue with this relationship? Do I continue with this job? But sometimes you're faced with an ethical choice. Do I see something bad and do I do something about it? Or do I just stay silent and I try to ignore it? And everything has a consequence. If you ignore something that you know is wrong, that can also come back to bite you. And for me, I try to use this art to shine a light on problems and issues that I feel strongly about that I think shouldn't be existing and that need to be solved. 
um, and it's up to the people to say, especially um, when you're talking about things like massive genocide or massive human rights abuses, um, if you don't say anything, then in some ways you're, you're saying it's okay for this to keep going because I, I know about it, but I'm just going to stay silent. Yes. Yes. And I won't because um, there are already too many people that are willing to stay silent. And I'm put in this position because I think that's my responsibility. I love that. And again, thank you so much for giving us opportunity to hear what it takes to create something so powerful. What is possible when you also attract great people that want to help you, they want to elevate, uh, they want to do the best they can. And then at the same time, what it takes to build amazing legacy uh, and by living life worthwhile living and highlighting great stories and opportunities to really embrace your craft. And lastly, if you don't mind sharing, I know that everybody's freaking out right now with technology, specifically AI. And I know you're taking courses. You're also looking how they can actually contribute and enhance your uh, skill set versus uh, how much how this can replace you. Do you mind sharing a little bit of a uh, preview from your perspective? Because again, we have to look at what's going on in this duality and polarization and see something that you concluded so that others can also have a different perspective than probably what we're hearing in mainstream media right now. Um, so AI, um, I've played with Chappie chat gpt mid-journey poe and um i my from my perspective um writers should not be concerned that ai is going to replace them anytime soon because the level at which ai writes at is just not ready to <laughs> replace the the kind of over the overarching planning and intelligence uh, a, a writer can bring to a story um, but what AI can do um, for writers is it's a fantastic, think of it as Google on steroids. You can ask questions um, and it will give you answers, sometimes 20% of which is not true or accurate, but or maybe 50% of it isn't useful, but maybe 10%, 20% of it might help to spur you into a inspiration and might help you to go well wow, i'd never considered this angle before so it's a great brainstorming research tool in terms of replacing writers it's very very far away from replacing a writer it just does not have the overall intelligence in how it creates that story and um that's a good thing because Ultimately, people are only able to connect to other people. That's why, you know, you're not <laughs> it, it, it and, and another person can really understand you empathetically because they go through similar things in their life. People have a family, people have family problems, people have relationship problems. So when you talk about relationship problems or family problems, they can understand and identify and sympathize and empathize. But someone AI who hasn't gone through any of that 
can try to pick pieces from fragments from other people's writing about those things, but AI itself has never gone through that. So it's not really able to understand it on a first perspective level. And because of that, it cannot truly write something that has that level of power because it doesn't understand. I'm 100% with you and I'm so glad you mentioned this because I keep saying it's a tool and just no matter how we use it can help us with some pieces, but ultimately will never replace your vision, your emotions, your intent behind it, your opportunity to see things from holistically from 360 degrees, from multiple different perspectives, and also to really bring emotional charge, specifically when it comes to script writing and then of course when it comes to directing, how do you now take that script into something that is so meaningful, right? Uh, so again, for everybody watching and listening, freaking out, uh, give yourself a chance to test drive as, as David did, experiment and see what it is and what is not. And I think will help so much uh, to really not get sidetracked, but also stay focused and keep going. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, especially in... in um the image generation where it's creating images but they're not images out of nothing they're images that it's been trained on so a lot of artists are suing ai companies for scanning their work and using their styles without giving them any kind of consent or any kind of recognition or any kind of compensation they're and you're you're saying well you know i could just copy your work as an artist, yeah, but it's it's a different thing when you're programming into the machine and, and letting it scan all your work to use that as reference. Um, so the AI companies are being sued by artists um, because of what they're doing. And this brings up a lot of ethics questions. Yeah. Can a company just scan everything they want without any permission at all and then sell it to somebody else? And say well it's not exactly the same as what <laughs> what it started as but yeah you're still using that information with any without any consent the legal ramifications of ai at this point are undecided for imagery but that court battle will play out over the next few years but in terms of the copyright office they have said Anything that's created by AI cannot be registered for copyright. It will be treated as public domain. So if you, if a producer or a studio executive thinks, oh, I can just have this AI write this, well then, well, yes, that's great. You have a script, but you can't copyright this and you can't actually claim ownership of it because it's considered public domain. So anybody else could actually just take that script and make that and you can't do anything. Mm. So the legal ramifications for writers is actually you need that writer because you need to have a human in order to copyright it, in order to have rights for it, in order to be able to buy and sell those rights um, and to be able to make a movie from it where when the distributor comes and says, where's your chain of title? Whereas the proof that you own the script, you can say, well, here, I bought it from this writer, as opposed to, well, no, AI wrote it. There is no chain of title. 
And the distributor's like, well, we're not going to distribute your film because you don't have ownership of the underlying idea. So many great points here and how important it is also to why, how can you still continue to protect your work? But I love that you also brought it up, uh, implications that it has to do with integrity, with uh, transparency, but also more regulated needs and body, but ultimately truly giving the rights back to artists and for their amazing craft and as a writer as yourself to be back to your tremendous talent. In closing, David, uh, of this episode of Legacy Leader Show, which we will definitely have you back and highlight your amazing series now available still on Peacock TV and other work. Uh, Epoch TV. Yes. Uh, that you had a chance to do. So do you mind sharing a little bit also in a closing for anybody that wants to start breaking into what things you're doing, any last minute, one piece of advice that you can give with where things are headed? Um, it's a very interesting time. This is such a big question because the writers and the actors are still on strike. The, they've been on strike for four months now. And it seems that the studio, the studios have one idea of what the future of the industry looks like that is not the same as what the writers and the actors want it to be looking like. Um, I think that there are big changes coming and not all of it will be good. Um, but as with any time of change, there's opportunity. I think a lot of what isn't talked about is a lot of the AI tools actually makes it easier for independent filmmakers to make things that look like studio films without studio budgets. And if I was the studio, I would, it shouldn't be the writers who are scared of AI. It should be the studios that are scared of AI for giving creators more power to create things without the need of the studio. So, for example, you can make um, um, incredible sci-fi um, type of imagery animations on your desktop in your bedroom. And while that was true for many years, it's become easier than ever and faster and cheaper. And if you have the ability to write a good story and you have some actors, you can do something that is amazing. And I think the next generation of filmmakers are going to leverage all these tools to tell incredible stories without needing massive amounts of money to do it. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us a positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.